Spanish fly coming at you. Straight from the 90s. Hispanics make up the largest number of gangs. Welcome back to another episode of the G-Funk Junkies podcast. Today we have a very special guest, a uh, hip-hop veteran, not just in the underground scene, but in hip-hop in general. One of the first producers slash rappers to have come out of L.A., in the late 80s and early 90s. I'm of course talking about Frank Contreras, AKA DJ Tricks from Spanish Fly. What's happening? Hey man, glad to be with you guys, Six and Wise. Uh, seen your show, I love it. And I'm just here to represent with you guys and uh, answer any questions you guys might have. Thank you, cool. thank you for blessing us uh, for the chance to interview you, man. You're very welcome. Thank you, guys, man. Thank you, guys. I, I know you've been through this quite a few times. You and Dads have uh, had several interviews, and I don't know how much you like to tell your story. Um, I'd like to hear it, or if you can at least give us and the listeners a, a quick recap of how you started in the mid-'80s, what led up to the formation of the group, and uh, if you can kind of talk about what led into the making of Trust No Man, uh, if you're cool with that. Yeah, no problem. It might be a take a couple of minutes but um yeah i could definitely share i'm gonna try to give you guys something that that has probably uh not really been said i, I want to try to make it more interesting oh uh, yeah i'm gonna try to do that okay so let's see the beginning would be uh so obviously richard anaya who was zessa rich rock was the, the the main rapper of, of the, actually the only rapper of the group i, I know you guys probably heard uh, a couple things that me and, and david daz had done but we weren't necessarily ever trying to be rappers or be rappers so so me and rich rock started making music in around 1985 and we we just loved rap we loved hip-hop we loved everything about it we loved the graffiti the breakdancing uh the djing the you know the rapping obviously and um so we we got into it around 85 we started trying to get a record deal around the same time 85 we started uh shopping our tapes to uh mccullough records uh jdc records techno hop which were the labels that were the only labels, labels we knew that were in, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, McCullough had, you know, artists like uh, Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, uh, the rec, World Class Wrecking Crew, um, Ice-T, uh, a lot of other groups. It, it was actually like a subsidiary label or Techno Hop. Then you had all these other Rapture records, all these little labels that were out of McCullough. But, but we never got an answer back from them. And then, uh, so we sent it to JDC Records, which was in San Pedro, another label. They had like uh, the Knights of the Turntable and all that, and uh, a couple of other groups. They were like a high energy uh, record label. And they pretty much said they weren't interested, I guess, because when we started making songs, you know, we were only like kids, you know, we were like in eighth, eighth, seventh and eighth grade. So our, our demos didn't sound really good. You know, we're just like a drum machine with him rapping and me scratching and like, so it, it didn't really get too uh, too far, you know, and then like, but we, me and Rich kept doing it, man. We kept making demos. We kept making songs, you know, for our friends. And then uh, eventually uh, I just got this idea. It was in 1989. Like I had uh, <clears throat> seen this uh, little movie called Duke of Earl. I don't know if you guys ever seen that. Yeah, the Christian movie. Yeah. That's what it's all about, right? The barrio, gang banging and low riding. It's about the barrio. It's about God, homeboy. That's what it's about. It's about God, Duke. God loves Duke. God loves Tokerstown. 
and God even loves 14th Street. Yeah, exactly. So I seen Duke of Rome for some reason, this was like the era when everybody that all our friends started being becoming cholos. I had friends that were like Crips and Bloods that were like, you know, seventh and eighth, ninth graders. And they, they you know, around the block, there was guys that were Bloods. We grew up in an area where there's a lot of Bloods. There's a lot of Cholos, but a lot of Bloods too, a lot of Crips too. And, and at this time, like when we seen Duke of Rural, we started wearing like, you know, Cores and Dickies and uh, Converse and, and Nike Cortez. And, and I was just like, you know what? I want to make a song like uh, a Boys in the Hood style song, but I want to do it for the homies, you know? And uh, yeah. And so like I, I was telling Rich about it, he was like, that, what? That's stupid. That's the way he would talk, that's stupid. And I was like, nah, look, man. I, and I had got 18 with the bullet and, and I had kind of like sampled it. Like we didn't have a sampler back then. So I kind of just sampled it by using two records because I was already a DJ. And I sampled it up. I just sampled it using a push play, record and pause. And I, and I do, 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 do. I just kept looping that over and over. I bought two of them because I had turntables and I just do, 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 do. We just started. And, and I was like, then I did a little rap for him and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I got it, I got it. And then he came up with the whole rap and then we recorded it. And from then on, we just started making song after song. And then, that, and then the demos, and we obviously started putting demos out and the demos started circulating. And uh, that's how we kind of got caught that buzz early on in 1989 and 90. So you formatted the rhyme scheme or pattern or melody to 18 with the bullet. So uh, you were quoted as saying, you know, starting off the song, you gave the idea to Red Rock to go, this is the life of a Mexican with lower cars, Priest Hanson Pendleton's. So my question to you is, you know, you, you started something good. Why didn't you end up hopping on the record after all, since you opened up with basically the, the idea that gave Rich Rock to make the song? You know what, man, that's a good question, but at the end of the day, Rich Rock, see, see, you have to remember, we were making demos already in, in, in 85. And then uh, the first album we tried to do called Pay to Chill. Then around 87, we did another album and it was more like a KRS-One type style record. I have like nine or 10 songs we did. So so for me, like Rich Rock, man, you, you have to understand like, this guy was like the dopest rapper around this area. He, he would battle black guys and just serve them, serve them. They, he would, they would rap, then Rich Rock would bust a rap, and they wouldn't even respond, bro. It was, that's how good he was. He was so good that it would just overshadow if I tried to rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm never, like, I could rap, but I'm not a rapper. You know what I'm saying? I don't look, I never looked at myself as a rapper. I look at myself as the producer, the guy that puts all the stuff together. Like, yo, man, why don't you try to do that again? Get back in the booth, do it again, or, or, or rewrite that part of the verse. I, I've always been more of that guy. Like to encourage the person to do the song, to spit the rhyme better, to try something else. So let's get, let's get another guy in there. Just pretty much like overseeing how everything was coming together. Like I could hear it in my mind, but it, it you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's like for you guys, you got two guys on your show. You always need someone that's gonna, that's gonna help. It, it motivates me to have another guy. So I'm not the guy doing everything. He was like my right hand man to do like, you know what I'm saying? Like I got the idea of what songs we should do. Like, bro, you come up with the rhymes. You come up with the ideas for that. Like, I'll give you the song titles and the songs of what to talk about. But I want you to write them, bro. You're the one, because he was the gifted MC. I was, like, I could rap, but I was like, I didn't have the voice. You know what I mean? Like, it, would, it wouldn't have been right if I would have done that, man. <laughs> yeah, he was just a prolific rapper. It was like, 
he was an MC. And it's like, if I try to do that, like, I'm surprised you knew about that. This is the lie. I don't know where you heard that story from, but yeah, that was, that's uh, something that I had rolled down and uh, I probably still have it on tape. But for him, he's like, man, I got it. I got it. Then he just, I remember I went to his house like the next day and he's opened his screen door and just came out like, oh, the lay said, let's load the shotgun up. I was like, damn, all right, that's it. That's it. And I just, do, 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 do. How long did that song take to record and master? Well, like the demo, like when he wrote his rap, it was like the very next day. <clears throat> In order to get the song out, it took like almost three years because we were trying to get record deals. And like, I remember we went in circles for about a year and a half with people that were either like, didn't have the money or like, I don't even know. There's so much to do. There's so much like with, with all that too. Like I remember we once went to uh thump records to try to get me and Richard and his little brother, Louie went. And then we met this guy, I guess, Bill Walker. That's his name, right? Is that his name? The guy that Bill was Walker. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, yeah. We, we, I like the song, but we want, we don't want it. That gangster. We want cholos that don't, or are not really cholo, but sound like they are. That song you guys are going to cause, like, fights. They wanted cholos, but white boy cholos, maybe, I think, maybe. I think that's what he was trying to say. So he was like, yeah, yeah, but you can leave your tape here. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I could have probably said, you know what, you know what, Bill, man, we'll do whatever you want us to do, please. But we were so hard-headed and naive at the time where we thought that we were, like, we just thought that we were going to be, like, something that we, 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 we never really amounted to being. But... We were just kind of like, now nah, we're going to be big and we're going to wait. We, we did that too much too. So I, I did hear you say that in, in the um, one of the interviews, I think it was with uh, Tony A, that you guys had a manager and you guys ended up clicking up with LAJ. And he kept on saying, like, just hold on, just hold on. Like, uh, how, was, were the songs for um, uh, Trust No Man already recorded by then or what what project was being held or, or what songs were not being released because you guys kept on getting pushed back yeah that yeah the LAJ the LAJ thing was a good thing too because uh, he was like a really good producer he, he actually still is LAJ if you look him up um, he that's what he goes by but he was making records with uh, Vanessa Williams and Tony 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 he was like this guy he was like a couple years older than us he had like long hair, like different than us. I don't know if he's white or Mexican. I don't know what he is, but we would go to his house and he had like a lot of equipment. And uh, we basically, we just said, bro, we need help. Look at this is our demo. And he's like, don't trip. I got a guy in New York, Polygram Records. I'm gonna show him your stuff. I like it. And then um, he would fly back and forth to New York. And then he came back and he said, Man, I got you guys a deal, but you know we gotta, we gotta, uh, we gotta just wait. We're gonna have to wait because he's doing something else right now. And I was like, all right. And he's like, meanwhile, we're gonna, you know, retract your demo because he had a, he had an MPC. I don't know if you know what that is, an Akai MPC 60. Mm -hmm. It's a drum machine. So what we did was we started retracking our stuff and cleaned it up. And then um, he showed the guy. His name was Ed from Poly, uh, Polygram Records. And he's like, yeah, he wants to sign us. He said he was gonna sign. Uh, us and a group black sheep which i never heard at the time and i was like yeah man uh, yeah we were we were excited and then like all of a sudden out of nowhere a group called ladder shade of brown came out with uh tj knights and i was like oh damn man 
I was so pissed. I remember I was, we were furious because for some reason, I don't know, we wanted to be the first like uh, non-black rappers. I'm sure there was probably others before that. I don't really know, but we were furious. So we, we told Jay, bro, we can't wait, man. We need to do this right now. You need to tell Ed, we need to get this done now. We can't wait. We're sick and tired. It was already like six more months that went by. And he was like, nah, you know, just hold off, hold off. And, and we eventually just didn't even call Jay back and ended up trying to get a deal elsewhere. You know what? Um, I feel Spanish Fly put accurate labels on like lighter shade of brown style being more like pop rap and uh, Frank V's Mexican power being influenced more by like that uh, public enemy, ex-clan, uh, political pride rap style. Yeah. You weren't kind of specific in a prior interview of how do you differentiate 18 with the bullet or the style that was displayed on Trust No Man with uh, Kid Frost La Raza? Because this is for the past. What's the difference between those two? Have you ever heard that that album that he did with the Raza on it? Have you ever heard that album? Yeah, yes. Hispanic Causing Panic. Yeah, you, you heard the whole album, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay, so that's it. That's all I got to say. I mean, that whole album, that was like the only song that was like that. Every other song was like, uh, I don't know, sounded like Booyah Tribe or... I, I, can't, I can't remember. I probably heard that album one time. And I think, I, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. And this is no like disrespect to Kid Frost and everything that he done. But I remember people laughing at, at him in general, at the music. Man, I hate to say that now, man, because now I'm older and I'm, you know, I'm in my 50s now. But at the time, I remember nobody really liked. Did you guys like that song when it came out? Uh, I was born in '89, so that song was, you know, still fresh when I wasn't still in diapers. You know what I mean? And I was, I was born in '85. So, so all the all the guys that were from like the guys we hung around with, the guys that were cholos or whatever, like from the west or the east side or from Carson or whoever we hung around with, they laughed at that stuff because they all liked. Uh, NWA and, and Dr. Dre and Snoop, they didn't really like at the time that kind of rap. To tell you the truth, they didn't even like our they didn't even like our stuff. <laughs> and, uh, my, uh, by any means, Frank, uh, be open about it. This is what this podcast is about. Me and yeah, why yeah. we talk about our experiences of being fans of Chicano and Latin rap and getting criticized. Chicanos have always been the hardest critics toward our music or I don't know now, like today, I don't really know because I don't even know like Chicano rap now, but back then they were the, the hardest critics. They, they didn't play it. Big facts. We would go into parties and we would, we would put our tape in and then people would be like, what the hell's this? What, what's going on, man? Take that, you know, take that out, man. And they would put back in, I don't know, whatever it was they were playing. Uh, shoot, what were they playing? Tupac back then or was that, no, that was, Tupac was later on. I don't think they liked it because it was like the way it sounded like it wasn't like representing their neighborhood. Maybe it was sort of like they looked at it as like a neighborhood song. Like like not 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 just that song, but but cholo rap in general. Yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, egos that clash, right? Like we're we're full of malinchismo sometimes where we're going to support somebody else claiming some other shit that isn't us. But we won't support us. You know what I mean? Because of whatever neighborhood is, is um, you know, tensions that you may have or tensions that may exist or, you know, or we feel like, oh, XYZ neighborhood is bigger and better than ABC neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's a trip, man. It's a trip. And I can also imagine that it was also hard that you guys are introducing, you know, rap into funk and oldie beats. That's something that was completely new and some people weren't registering if that's going to hit. Is it genius? Is it not? So people were, <laughs> probably had a hard time processing that, you know, something new to them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly um, not liking it. it. Sounded slow. I think some most of our stuff sounded too slow. <laughs> it's it's my fault, man. It, it was my fault too, man. A lot a lot of the songs we were you they were kind of cheesy, man. The Trust No Man songs because like we <laughs> the thing about it is like. We were using kind of like oldies that were kind of like cheesy a little bit in a way, but for some reason we thought it, it would work. If you look at, like you mentioned, X-Clan, the first album they made was, uh, I think, To The East, Blackwords, and they were kind of using cheesy samples like More Balance of the Ounce, uh, Genius of Love, but they knew that those songs would, would hit. Like, would, you know, they were like using the beats to get their, their lyrics across. And I was like, man, dude, we need to, we need to use like like cheesy beats to get our lyrics across, and then on the next album we'll hit them with something a little more a little more hard, hopefully. <laughs> so I, I got a question for you. So I, I I really love the special edition for Trust No Man because of the commentary that you played on there, and you kind of circling back to this whole Kid Frost, um, you know, uh, situation. You mentioned that, you know. Uh, Rich Rock says, uh, you might have heard uh, some suckers bite some shit that I said or something along those lines. Perhaps you heard suckers bite some things I did, but at last you heard a bottle that were aiming out of front of you and not one. And it made me think, and, and I went back and I'm like, okay, I remember that Frost dropped that song, um, Lowrider. Yeah, right. Uh, I know Rich Rock has a song called My OG Lowrider. Yeah. yeah, that old Zelo rhyme is a little higher. Like a rock on rolling, going through the party of the area that's scaring you. And it's sampling the same the same beat, and I'm just wondering, was it was it because of the Spanglish, or was it because of that beat or that same sample that you guys had that that you guys felt like Kit Frost was biting your style? Um, shoot, that's that's probably part of it, right? Let me see. Um... It was just more hearsay, like people telling us stuff. Because uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Let me think here. Um, well, <laughs> since you brought up Lowrider, I'll bring that up because we had we had gave a tape to Tony G, and he's the guy that made that song before they made that song. And uh, if you uh, listen to the song, there's just a couple of things they said. Well, Rich Rock changes raps, but there's some stuff that they said in that rap that Rich Rock said, but Rich Rock changed it. Then, uh, I don't know, I just felt like, okay, oh yeah, then at the end of the song, I think he says, uh, who's that, ALT? He says, uh, yeah, you know it's fly, or something like that. He says that when the song is ending, you could probably pull up the song and listen to him saying that. And you know it's fly. <laughs> so we felt, I don't know, I felt like it was a shot at us, but it probably really wasn't. Oh yeah, then he says, uh, he says, uh, cruising in my lowered, something like that. And that's the way our song originally goes. I could pull the demo up and show you. Like a rock, I'm rolling, going through the party of the area that's scaring you. Cruising, the bass escapes from the window. I'm rolling real slow and low. But there, there was stuff that they did. And then like how Mellow Man Ace came on there and he was saying all this stuff sounding all stupid. It irritated me even more because we felt like that song, that, that song Lowrider was gonna, was gonna be one of the key songs of blowing us up at the time. I don't know why I thought that, but, but yeah, we just felt like like Tony G and them they robbed us for that song. That, I mean, they probably didn't, bro. Like, but that's just the way hip hop nature is, and us being hip hop and competitive, we totally thought that they burned us for that that idea for that song. 
you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time either that something like that has happened. Like, Lighter Shade of Brown has been accused of similar um, ideas, right? Uh, when it came to, uh, there, there's a few groups that you might have heard of or might not have heard of that have some conflicts with Lighter Shade of Brown, but I remember there was this group out of Santa Ana called uh, D-Lyrical and the SA Mob where they mentioned that they had the same issue where, you know, concepts of songs were taken by Lighter Shade of Brown. And... Cali Lifestyle, another group from, from the Central Coast, um, something similar happened where they had a, a, a sample picked out and then uh, the person that, that was involved with, with uh, the music happened to kind of show it to uh, Lighter Shade of Brown's uh, group or, or whatnot. And what do you know, the song, um, shit, what is it called? It's uh, Laying, shit, I, I, it's like one of the singles for um, Laying in the Cut. I forget what it's called. It's like one of the more popular Lighter Shade of Brown songs. This song was done a long time ago before you know who fucked it up. Yeah, a lot of shade of brown. You know, it, it, it just, it, it's a small world out there, you know? Yeah, a lot of it could be coincidence, but sometimes it's not, man. Because I know how hip-hop is. And, like... But you know, at the, at the end of the day, man, that's that's all that's stupid stuff. Now, when I look back at it, to say like, oh yeah, Tony G and Kid Frost took our song. I, like now, when I, that I'm older and I think about it, I'm like, that's stupid. It's not even our song anyway. It's a sample. It's, an, it's only an idea. They say that great minds, not that our minds were great or anything, but, but people think of ideas at the same time. Maybe they just thought the same idea. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. It don't matter no more. But. It's a little more than that. Like me and Daz always talk about it, how people never gave us like, we, we never asked for people's respect, but all we ask is to be acknowledged. Yeah, people would say like, oh, they would say Frost was dope. Yeah, Spanish Fly was dope. Uh, you know, Proper Dos was dope. Lighter Shade of Brown. But they would say them, but they wouldn't ever say us. They would never mention Spanish Fly. And then like the fans would mention us. And then, you know, these other guys would say, oh, no, nah, no, nah, we never really heard of them. It's on and on and on. It's the same thing on and on and on, which, like I said, we never really cared about people like, you know, jocking us or whatever, man. We just always wanted to be included. That was all it really was, is just to be included. But then when I look back at the production of her album, I kind of see why we weren't in included, really, because, because some of our stuff was not fully done. And, like, it's kind of hard to listen to now because I know that there was stuff that should have been fixed and never was. But then at the same time, we're just glad that it got done. It took us so long to get it done. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you had mentioned uh, when you guys showed up on, on Tony A's podcast that uh, Easy e was interested in you guys, or that uh, I, I guess Daz mentioned that Murray had told you guys that uh, Easy e wanted to sign you guys. Murray from Familia, I remember he told me Easy e wanted to sign us. Okay, uh, Murray, yeah, that, uh, that would be Murray who? Brunfield. Murray Brunfield, yeah. okay. That was after, yeah. Around what time was that? Probably 94. I remember I met him at, I met him at Abbey Road. And I remember he, uh, I gave him his, he, I gave him a CD and he said, yeah, I heard of you guys. I like what you guys are doing. And that was really all he said. Wow. I didn't know. He gave my cousin, my cousin David was with them too. He was a rapper too back then. He used to go by West, West Side Grimm. And he, he uh, 
he gave him the Bone uh, Thugs tape before it came out. He still has it too, my cousin. And it was like uh, only only pieces and bits of the song. It would play for like a minute, then it would lower out, then another song would come in, and we didn't even know what they were at the time. We were like, oh, cool, man. And, and Easy was walking around. It was at a, a autograph convention. And like these other guys were there, Snoop and Warren G, and they were like all hiding in the cars, but Easy was just there walking around. And I was like, hey, what's going on, man? You know, here, you know, we, we want to get a record deal, man. Here's our CD. He's like, yeah, man, I, I heard of y'all. Check it out. I don't know what, like, I know Murray used to say stuff like that, but I also know Murray would kind of try to keep us in his pocket. You know, he didn't want to probably us, he didn't want us to get a deal. You know what I mean? He wanted to keep us on his label. So I don't know, maybe, maybe he would say stuff like that, but it, you know, obviously I know you guys probably know the stories about uh, Night Owl and them going to end up signing with Ruthless at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was like in 96 when that was going to happen. Around 95 or 96, yeah, because uh, they, they had shopped their demo, um, or I guess left the messages on the recording machine for Jerry Heller. But I'm just curious, though, like, what's your take on, like, do you think, I, I know you've said that um, Samoans and Black dudes and, and White dudes would bump 18 with a bullet. And I remember... You know, just walking down the street and people driving by playing it. All, you know, black people, Samoans, Mexican, everyone was everyone was playing that song, man. That song blew up. But um, as time transpired, do you think that, you know, if Easy e would have um, given you guys that, that exposure, that your music would be played across different crowds? Or do you think it would have just remained a Chicano staple? Um, yeah, that could be a general question for any Chicano artist too though in reality uh I think it's possible but um I mean who's good enough to do that I mean let me see you, you know you know what I noticed man in the last 10 years I I, I have heard a couple Chicano rappers like uh I'm familiar with Conejo he, he had a he had a good voice I, I remember hearing his stuff through the years like even in the late 90s uh, then this guy King uh, Little G, is that his name? Yeah. Okay. Okay, those guys got pretty good voices. I, I think what Chicanos, their voices don't, they don't really break through the, the song, the mix, the way they sound. Like, also, too, like, why are they still talking about the same stuff that was said in 92, 95? I have an answer for that. This is the perspective of why I think we still sound like to everybody else, like we're stuck in the 90s or something, but. Have you ever thought about when Mexicans are involved with music, how it's not for a fad? Like, if you think about rancheras, you think about corridos, you think about mariachi music, that music yeah. has existed for sometimes, like, let's go back to mariachi music. That's existed for over 100 years. And there has been little change and very few modifications to the music. Maybe the, the highest point of change has been the way that it's been recorded. But corridos too. I mean, you can find corridos that go back to the revolution in Mexico, right? Back in 1910. Yeah. And corridos haven't really changed much, except for like now the narco corridos are probably the biggest change to the original corridos. But I think when we get involved with music, it's not something that we do because it's a fad and we just want to jump on it. It's things that we do out of tradition. And for us, like gangster rap is not a fad right it's not a uh it's not like it was for for the mainstream 90s where like oh shit gangster rap and lowriders and blunts and that's it like no man lowriders and blunts like that goes way back to before um Chief uh -huh. Song, you know what i mean like before yeah. it was popularized by music but yeah i think it's out of tradition and not out of fad you know what i'm saying 
Yeah, that's a good answer. I like that. I like that answer. Yeah, it's because because uh, hip hop is so competitive. It don't discredit the level of of what they're doing though. Like it has to be up to par. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just for, for me like man, it's kind of weird. Like um, so I was into like this Chicano. I, I guess it's Chicano rap. It wasn't Chicano rap at the time. Like I guess I was into it like from ninety to ninety five four. And then I kind of got, got into some other styles of music, but I've, I've always been recording like nonstop since then. But like, I, I really don't like at, at that moment, like after that, I really didn't know nothing about it. Like this was the era, I guess, when like all the groups started coming out, I didn't really follow it. Like I've never bought a Shadow CD or a Little Rob CD or a Kid Frost CD. I never heard like, uh, I, I never really even heard their music. It's weird. I never even heard the uh, 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 S.A. stuff after um, I didn't do music with him. I barely even heard like a couple of his songs. Well, now I'm just re rebounding off the situation. So it, were you ever asked or is there a reason why you never hopped, at least as a producer, to the reincarnation of Spanish Fly with Annie Means and Mexiclan and, you know, um, Johnny and S.A. Daz? Oh, you mean like right now, not... 2003 uh he, he i mean he told me about i mean i have songs that came out with under spanish fly i have like eight or nine the last 10 years okay but i mean he 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 told me he mentioned that he was doing all that but i mean i i really like you guys probably know I'm a, i've been a christian like for 25 years you guys i don't know if you know that you probably do but i mean i really couldn't like get behind what they're talking about it's like it just i mean what don't what am I going to rap about? Like, look at me. I mean, I'm not saying they're rapping about, like, look at me, I'm this and that. I just, it's hard for me to get behind that. I'm, I'm already in my 50s. What? It's hard to promote that, man. I mean, it's it's hard for me to be behind, because I still do rolling music with people, but we do music that is like, you know, like, if I'm recording jazz or alternative rock or just hip-hop, or it's not all, like, sounding like, like they're trying to act really, I'm not saying that, that Daz and them are trying to act like they're all hard, but... I just, I don't know. I just, I can't do that, man. I mean, I, if I feel, I feel like I'll be faking now at my age to do that, just for me in general. I noticed that a lot uh, in your younger years. You know, when you, you know, rock the facial hair, the mustache, and the baseball cap. Has anyone told you that you look like evidence from dilated peoples? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see what he looks like. All right, so I, I got a, a pretty complicated question, or a long-winded question, I should say. So I was, uh, I've been watching that, the documentary and listening to your interviews and listening to the music kind of since we talked about, you know, eight weeks ago about doing this interview. And I, I like to kind of zone in onto, onto what I'm listening to and what I want to review and stuff. And um, in, in the documentary, FYI for all the listeners, you know, pe uh, tuning in right now, if you haven't seen the documentary, it's, it's, it's a short 25-minute documentary, but it's really intriguing and really interesting, and you can watch it on um, Amazon. I think it costs like five bucks, so it's well, totally what? worth it. Yeah, if you're, if you're in uh, the United States, please download it. If you are not in the United States, use the VPN and download it. It's super cool. But uh, going back to it, um, you mentioned towards the end, um, you start you and dad start mentioning how there's internal conflict and uh richard starts feeling a certain way about you being on the group and as i'm listening to uh trust no man 
I feel like I'm listening to two different albums because I feel like Acid Rich Rock was his own group and Spanish Fly was a separate group, but the Trust No Man was one CD or one album, right? And I'm just wondering, uh, I, I feel, I, I'm kind of starting to hear that those tensions were there because there's very little songs where all of you are kind of on it if that makes sense right like uh yeah I, I didn't really hear too many songs with daz and uh rich rock on it i felt like like rich rock was his own thing can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah sure um yeah what happened was uh i'll answer the first question was uh so it was it was uh because uh you know rich rock had a, a issue with uh substance abuse that got really bad mm -hmm. so i'm sure you guys already know that i mean we all did stuff we all you know like substance abuse so when i say of substance it could be anything it's not necessarily that we did speed or crack or heroin or anything like that i mean substance like 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 if uh, it could be marijuana or alcohol or just being an addict in general mm -hmm. so you know obviously hanging in the neighborhood we're gonna just try different stuff do different stuff and like that had a lot of reason why the diminishing of the group and the reason why me and him started having conflict was because of that like i see him a certain way and then i'm mad at him for that so now he's mad at me because I'm mad at him because of that. The second question would be about like the album selling like two albums, basically because Rich Rock wasn't there at the end. You'll notice he's not on the cover of the album because he didn't want to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, he didn't want to be part of it. He's like, nah, I don't want to be. We got to go to his house, and he's like, nah, I don't want to be part of it. I don't. He didn't want. And I even said like, like when I said on the Rodian Radio, like, did he ever even see the album? Like. <laughs> Like, did he even ever see the album cover? And Dad's like, I don't know. I mean, I know he did see it because I remember we gave it to him, or I gave it to him, but he was uninterested at that time with it at, at, at already because I guess because of substance abuse, he was going through a lot of stuff in his life. So the reason why the albums did sound like two different albums is because we had to do a lot of filling fillers in there where, like, because Rich Rock, the way he was in his mindset with rapping and hip-hop was... I'm gonna be the only rapper. Like, hell no, you guys are gonna, you guys can't rap, you suck. That's the way he was, you know, talk and say it. And like, so basically, cause he wasn't there, we had to kind of like do fillers. And if you listen to the raps, you get like, these fools can't rap compared to how Rich Rock rapped. You know, it might sound cool. We might be able to get by and pull it off, but we weren't really rappers. That's why it kind of sounded that way too. And yeah, that was the reason why I didn't even want to do it either. I was like, you know what? I, I don't even want to do this album anymore. If it wasn't for Toker Ruben coming to my house and saying, bro, you need to come back and help us finish this thing, I probably would have never even came back and helped him finish it. Because I was so upset too about it. Red Truck was gone and I was pretty much gone. And I, I was pissed off about the whole ordeal. But, but I, mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad I did go back and help him finish it and it did get done. Because if it didn't get done, then, ah, man, who knows what the hell would have happened. Being young in a group and having different ideas and then you mix in drugs with it. People just, we just kind of like, I wouldn't say me per se, but like certain members just kind of stopped getting along and, and uh, yeah. And I, because when we finished the album, I, I mean, I pretty much finished it with, with uh, Toker and then Rich Rock was a challenge to get him to go too. You know, uh, one thing that I, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, shy away from you guys actually participating on that. Cause I, when I first heard Spanish fly back when I was uh, like 15, I, I was actually more drawn towards uh, Daz than I was to Rich Rock. Um, you know, now in, in my thirties, I listened to it. I'm like, Hey, Rich Rock was pretty gifted, but something about Daz, like Daz had a certain charisma that, 
that really appealed to me when I heard him rapping, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, he, we could pull it off. Yeah, he could definitely pull it off and, and get by by doing that. But like Daz is a great producer. I always, people or even me, I guess I do, see him as a producer more than a rapper. Okay, so who produced most of, of or, or Trust No Man? Like, was it like 50-50 or what was that ratio like? I think uh, I did, I must have came up with the concept of mostly every song. I think David might have did, let me see. Um... Well, Kill for Thrills was a different song, and then he kind of like edited it differently. Spanish, Spanish. You probably heard it on that on that special edition, the way it sounded before. Yep. Then he kind of, with the help of this guy, a little chill, he kind of changed it around a little bit and then did a different hook. So he, he could, he, he did most of that. Like the samples were mostly my idea. Like this is, this is what we're gonna use. But then he kind of flipped them around, which was dope too. So so I guess he, he probably did that. And then I think that would be it. Let me see. Was that you on the third verse on Kill for Thrills? Yeah, it was, it was a filler. Pretty much a filler. <laughs> Trick says it has a little cheer. It's kill or be killed, so we kill for three. I did rest in peace too, that rest in peace one. This kid was yesterday, I can't remember. Good and bad, truth for dead, life is like a nightmare. But I'm not a rapper, man. I've never really been a rapper. But I could rap, I mean, but I'm not a rapper though. <laughs> Yo, Tricks, uh, did you ever have like a, maybe a ballpark number that you can give us or maybe an estimate for maybe how many sales or units you have combined with uh, CDs, I mean, vinyl single, CD album and tape? Oh, yeah, it's a lot, man. We, we still we still selling it right now. Probably over 200,000. I think they mentioned that they did about 350 units yeah it was on uh probably the real american cholo uh it probably is now yeah definitely yeah we we still we still selling it right now it's still moving right now you guys sold actually a pretty good amount of copies for that day and age no yeah brother i have uh i actually got the sound scan year i mean years ago i'm sure that that album is just it, we're gold now but it was at three hundred and fifty thousand copies something like that yeah that's I mean, major brother this was back in the day um, and I have a sound scan for that. So, you know, fast forward to 2020. I mean, I still sell those CDs. They still buy them off That's the website. Right. So, you know, we, I mean, I don't know. We, we probably close to 500,000 now as far as that album and that 18 with a bullet. But it did about 300 some thousand back in those days with no, mind you, no radio play because no one was going to play that song. There was no major label push. We didn't have money. It was just... Like easy did just out the trunk. Just to quantify that to the listeners, keep in mind that NWA sold half a million records out of the trunk and they were on the label and they did get some exposure versus you got underground albums like this one with no radio play, no help from the mainstream. You know, you you've heard uh Night Owl say that his first album, you know, to date had sold about five hundred thousand units or four hundred. Um, yeah, the LSD fully strapped album. Murray Brumfield said that went gold too. You know, wow. so I I just want the uh, the listeners to understand that like there is potential in the underground yeah. music, and you guys have like no direction, but still manage to pull off these these feats of of 
they're, they're like Herculean uh, Herculean feats of <laughs> of showmanship in the underground. You know what I'm saying? Like who else can say that their their albums, despite not having the push from radio, the mainstream, or any capital, any real capital behind it, have been able to produce this much? You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. It uh, it was moving itself. A lot of those artists were moving the music because people loved it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love it still. You know, it, it's been 17 years since I first heard it, or maybe 18 years since I first heard your music, and it still, you know, sits well with me. But um, I, I wanted to circle back to your cousin, Westside Grimm. I, I did not know he was your cousin, so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that on the air here because that's really cool. I actually wish that he had appeared on more songs with you guys. I know that he and Daz did a few tracks together, but can you elaborate on the song that was meant to come out on that mc8 movie reasons oh yeah 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 that was that was actually him and uh and david doing that i don't i don't know we did a podcast on that right yes that's where i heard it i heard a little snippet of it yeah he uh i don't really know much about what happened i guess the movie didn't happen after all and the song just kind of got shelved damn all right so in 1995 we got a chance to do a a song for a movie called Reasons. And in two days, we, we did a, a little four track. We went to we went to Riverside to record in New Breed of Hustlers studio. A producer named Baldy, he's the one who engineered it. And the song was called Trust No Man. So we submitted it and they loved it. They loved the song. They loved the way we mapped it out. We wrote it, we wrote it like, we just took the script and we just put the characters in there. We wrote it, you know, to, directly with the movie. They loved it. The movie never came out. They loved the song. We were trying to get the end credits. They were like, there's no way you can get the end credits. We're saving that. MC8 will probably get more than likely get the end credits. They go, but we'll put your song in there somewhere. It'll be in the movie. The the film after it was made, you know, that it was it was caught up in a in a big controversy and and a federal racketeering case and 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 they seized the 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 movie, which is it's unfortunate. Did you style the masters or who has the masters to that? It's um these guys from Riverside. It's uh David the guy of. Uh, because David Grimm is that's his name too. Uh, Wes Grimm's name is David. He he mentions it in the podcast. Who has it? We have like it on CD. I'm sure Daz has it too, like on a CD somewhere. But yeah, I don't know about putting it. It's not really up to me to put it out. It's probably up to David and David to put it out or what they want to do with it. Okay. He was telling me let's redo it. I was telling him to redo it too, but I don't I don't know if he's gonna do that or not. I think we might have started to redo it. And then um, I did I did all the track over and all that, and then he. Uh, it's kind of hard, man, when you try to do old songs over. They don't sound the same because then you want to uh, update it. I'm into I collect a lot of equipment, so I could do I could run it through analog tape and then back digital. But it's just something about the way you sound, your cadence, your delivery, your vocal. It's not it's not the same. It don't have the same like you're you're older now, so then you want to kind of change it so it don't have the same feel. <laughs> Do you mind if I include that when I edit this uh, this episode and play that that minute and a half? Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. You can check it out on the Spanish Fly podcast. It's on uh, Trix's um, uh, YouTube channel, and it's that interview with um, with or it's a short clip with uh, Westside Grimm. I'm gonna go ahead and play a little clip, and you guys check it out. It's never been heard before. This is a song, Trust No Man. 
late night in the club, counting our stash. Me and my boys trying to double up the cash. We call up Ramona, hook us up with the bird. And now we got clients instead of hoes on the beeper. Money's rolling in, I got the hook up with the cops. On my flip phone, waiting for another drop off. These young motherfuckers in the street, straight balling. Clocking 20 down when the night with one call. And now I'm off to mom's pad to kick now some loot. I see a tear fall, cause she knows the dirt I do. I gotta watch my back when I'm rolling through the pocket. Cause JD's ass is locked up and he's scheming a way to stop it. Never got along, even when we were little kids. And now this motherfucker's thinking he's gonna get revenge. Making money on the west side was the plan. But I still can't trust that motherfucking man. And what I caught here, I, I want to circle back to a comment that you left on YouTube a long time ago. But the sample on that was um, a little bit of more bounce of the ounce. And if I recall the uh, Friends, right, by Houdini? Yeah, yeah. It's um, the part of, uh, yeah, the piano part on, on Friends, the instrumental. Okay, so those two samples and the way that it was played, there's another group that uh was on familia records called young pachucos and i think they only had one song you left a comment on there that you produced that track is that correct oh shoot i did say that oh my gosh how long ago did i say that i think we were there and we probably gave them the samples yeah but i don't i wouldn't say i produced it we were there it was yeah me and david were there and murray he just wanted to put anybody out i guess and he was like yeah these guys right here you know they're from what were they from uh Okay, Young Pachuco is a group uh, out of uh, uh, Arizona, uh, you know, border town. Okay. Uh, they had a nice sound. I mean, it's just, you know, it's funny. It's, you know, they had a song that was, you know, it was a Ch Chicano rap hit uh, called Wanna Bounce. <laughs> you know, it was number one for... It's, it's run, you know. Really? Okay. Uh, they had an album. Uh, we never really finished uh, working on it. You know, I guess things come up, different things, but I had a lot of, uh, you know, high hopes for that group. Right. But we, you know, never <clears throat> fulfilled it. But, I mean, they were, you know, they were dope. They were, you know, they brought, brought a border town sound. And we were like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And then I think we were there recording something else and then we just kind of had the beat already. Like, not even really a beat, just like a, a rough draft and they just rap. Yeah, yeah, just a loop. And Murray was just like, yeah, yeah. He started grooving and thinking it was like an instant hit with no work and like, just let it be. And like, that, it's not something that, that I could say I, I produced, no way. My, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you produce uh, S.A. Rich Rock's uh, track, uh, Don't Let No One Get You Down? Don't let no one get you down. That's the message I'm sending from the heart. It's time for the stereotypes to start ending. Because it's been going on too long. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was my idea to do the song. I mean, uh, the reason why I was asking, because um, I know I could I could look it up, but I might as well just ask a source. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a snippet in there, which I think is a sample that goes, uh, I'm not black. I'm not yeah. white. I'm in the middle, just right. Which, by the way, I also picked up that you uh, sampled a little bit of uh, Santana's Black Magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what sample is that from? The whole "I'm not black, I'm not white." Oh yeah, let me see. I got that from. Uh no, I think I got that from uh, El Chicano Viva La Raza. Is that it? Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I got it, the it might be it. Yeah, it is, it's, it's that. Yeah, I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm in the middle. Yeah. Then I used uh, "Don't Put Me Down If I'm Brown" by Al Chicano. That's what it was. The one in the middle where it breaks down. I'm not black. The thing is, we had to slow it down real slow. It sounds kind of weird. Okay. And those those influences of that song was from your dad playing. Yeah, my dad had the records. He 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 plays with the guys from Tierra, and uh, he he would play with all them guys. Yeah, he's still playing Latin jazz. And, He's still playing and all that. He still does all that still to this day. Which makes me ask that you, you know, you stated you grew up in a musical family. How was your parents' reception with you wanting to rap and make music? I ask this because uh, I think you stated that your jefita most probably listening to Rapper's Delight, which was a new genre at the time. But I don't know how well-versed she was in hip-hop at the time. Yeah. <laughs> they probably thought about it the way we think of our kids' music. They probably hated it. <laughs> I think they I think they didn't like it yeah they didn't like it they didn't like rap it's weird now because now my mom's like I like that song like certain rap songs my dad let me see does my dad like rap my dad's kind of weird with it because he'll tell me like hey Frank you should make a song with this song right here and he'll play a song for me I'll be like with that no nah, I'm good with that and it's like a song you would never want to make a song with you know but uh, yeah, he probably thought my music wasn't music, but that's the same thing with every generation. Like, I could look at my my son's music. My son, he's 30 now, but at the time he used to like like Little Wayne and all that. And now he probably don't like Little Wayne. But or my daughter, my daughter's like everything's cringy to her. Like that music's cringy. Don't play that. So like every 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 generation, you know, what I mean, they think the the next generation is not music. My parents didn't, in other words, my, 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 my parents didn't like our music. My mom grew up on like reggae and the Beatles. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so she's got a really interesting tune, right? Like she would hate that I would play rap and she'd be like, esa musica de pinches marihuanos. And then I would look at her and be like, you're listening to the Beatles. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, but 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 it's because it's a different it's a different generation. Yeah, like my mom, my mom liked the Beatles and Marvin Gaye and all that and Led Zeppelin, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, she. Yeah, that's kind of weird, huh? But then they look at our music like trash. But I'm sure my mom's mom looked at her music like trash. Yeah, you know the the funny thing is that like, she. Uh, I guess she grew to like Eminem because I, that was like one of the first rappers that I started listening to when I was a little kid, right? I was uh, ten when when the Marshall Mathers LP came out, and that was like my first rap album. Oh, that's a good album. Yeah, it, it's a good album. Like I still play it to this day, and it's so funny because my brothers are six and eight years younger than me. And so my youngest brother's into Drake, right? And so when he's playing his music in front of my mom, my mom compares it to Eminem and she's like, ¿Por qué suena como que nomás está hablando? Like he's not even singing or rapping. Yeah. And then, you know, because yeah. my mom picked up Eminem's style of rap. And so to her, like rap is supposed to sound that way, right? So Correct. when she hears like Drake rapping, she's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is not yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> this is not that, business. Yeah. That's, the same, that's the same scenario, bro. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I always thought that was funny. But um, I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, Spanish Fly Classics and Unreleased. Uh, were you a part of putting this together besides like the actual recording? It's pretty much just the same songs, right? I think David added like two or three other ones he had. Yeah, there there was uh, one, uh, two, uh, three, four, four songs that weren't on the... Um, on the Spanish Fly, uh, Trust No Man album. Oh, wow, four. I didn't know four. Yeah, no, I didn't know nothing about that. I think I seen that online one day. <laughs> that came out like in 97, though, right? Uh, I, the one I have, the pressing says 2005, but I'm assuming it did come out in 97. Oh, okay, maybe it was, maybe it was 2005. 
Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't know nothing about that. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just wondering what your involvement was, because I, I, other than you know a few tracks that I can kind of hear your sound, like that Spanish fly sound that you crafted. The yeah. rest, I'm, I'm starting to believe, is more of uh, Daz's. Um, yeah, he had a song in there like S A Cholo or something like S A Chicholo or something like that. It was like a a sample from uh, Al Green. Yeah, I think that was that's David's song. I think he made that one in his studio at his house. I think I'm not sure though. I thought that was the only uh, additional song in there. I, I didn't know there was more than just that. Yeah, well, I didn't hear Gangsta Tail on any other previous one oh, yeah. you guys had. Oh, yeah, no, uh, you're right. Uh, that was too, yeah. You Can't See Me with Your Cousin, uh, Westside Grimm. Oh, that was on there, too. Okay. Yeah, and then Ain't No Place I'd Rather Be where he samples uh, Clear oh, and, yeah. um, Tonight. Tonight, yeah. Yeah, we always wanted to use that, and we never did. That was all kind of good samples, man, we were going to use, man. And we never, we had we had so many good samples to use, and then we never really got around to it. I know he still has a lot of them. I have a lot of them still, but we just, I don't know, it's kind of weird. We just kind of shelved them and never really used them. It's kind of weird when that happens. Hey, no kidding, man. Like, is there any music that you guys still have that's unreleased? Because uh, it says here that there's supposed to be a volume two, but I'm just wondering if... There is yeah, I, I have stuff. I, I'm pretty sure he does. I know I got stuff that we never put out. I got a lot of stuff with Rich Rock I never put out, but it's stuff that is not done in the recording studio. It was done like on a four track at her house. Oh no, we, I have like two that we did in the studio. That's right. It's another. It's another version of Shotgun and another version of Don't Let Them Get You Down. On the documentary, you played the original version of Don't Let No One Get You Down because the the one that came out on. Um, the one that I heard on the special edition uh, sounded different. Oh yeah, yeah, that was me and David doing that one. That one was that's like the third one. I have another version that Rich Rock did before the one that we put on the dock. Uh, yeah, that was one we did in a we did that one in the studio in Riverside. We were trying to get a deal with this uh, this guy named Jaime Ochoa. He was trying to get us a deal. Um, he, he's a he's a he's a good guy. You, sh you should you should you guys should have him on your show. Look him up, Jaime Ochoa. He's doing a lot of good things for. Uh, for the Chicano culture, he's involved a lot of things in the all through Southern California. But he was trying to get us a record deal for about two years, and he was taking us to the studio. And we did "Don't Let One Get You Down" and uh, "18 with the Bullet" too, I believe. But we never uh, got a deal for working through him. So you guys cut ties with him when you when you uh, met Murray Brunke? Yeah, 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 exactly. He was pissed off, but I mean, we we just had to hurry up and get something out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he understood at the time too but he was mad though because he put a lot of time into us but we were kind of going in circles with him though and, and for that song i'm assuming that that uh jamal owns the rights to that song but you guys remixed the uh the harbor area song right for the the documentary yeah that was um that that was actually uh Al, his name is alex it's it's daz's um nephew he goes by tunes. He he did the music. He's a really gifted. Uh, he's a really gifted. Um, he plays uh, drums, guitar, keyboard. So so when you hear the music, yeah, he did the music all over, and then David just did his raps over. Dude, that that song is so dope. I, I almost feel like bootlegging it myself just because it's so dope. <laughs> oh man, that's how it ends up, and now you know Harper, every rip shit up. Oh man, that's how it ends up. 
how did you cross paths with Jamal Holland and the idea of, you know, how did the idea get tasked up of, you know, let's make a Spanish fly documentary and how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamal Holland, I met him because like I um, I had a Christian rap, well, I do have a Christian rap label. So I, it's Saving Soul Records, SavingSoul.com. And then we were, uh, I had about 15 groups. So we put about 10 or 15 albums out within the last 15 years. And then I, that's how I met Jamal. Like he just came to the studio one day and he started rapping. And I was like, yeah, bro, let's uh, let's get you on doing shows. We were doing like 150 shows a year. Wow. This was like in 2003, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Around 10, it slowed down a lot. So we did it for, for quite a few years. And then um, he never knew nothing about the Spanish Fly stuff because like when I'm doing like the gospel hip hop, we never, you know, we never really would talk about that stuff. We were just like, they'd come in the studio, my studio I have in my house, and we were just like, let's just grind and make songs. Like, these are the beats. I'd have different rappers, and then they would all like spit on different verses. And then um, me and Jamal ended up making a solo album. I, or he made a solo album, and then he got a record deal through a, through a um, some label, and then he started, he got on TBN and all that. I don't know if you know what TBN is. Mm -hmm. he made a couple of music videos. I think we made three or four music videos. And then for some reason he see he said, "Yo, man, I I uh, I seen that little Spanish fly thing you did where you're like, I met. Well, I'm like saying I met Richard. I met Richard when I was in seventh grade. He's like, yo, that's dope. And like he's like, yo, you should do something with that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. It was like a little. I don't know if you ever seen it. I did it about ten years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I and saw then, that like took like a three minute video on YouTube, right? Yeah, and I played like a song at the end of it, and he seen that. And when he seen it, he said he 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 had felt a certain way about it, but he wasn't a director yet." But he was already making music videos, and then he ended up going to uh, to college. I think it was was it USC or UCLA? USC? I think it's USC. Yeah. Yeah, USC. And then he he got a he went for directing, and then um, that's that's pretty much. And he we've always been friends, doing music, still doing music. I just had a meeting with him uh, yesterday uh, with the girl from Lebanon. We got a song called Revolutionary coming out, and we got a, a girl with a Lebanese voice singing on there. We got this guy. Uh, Double double O double M from uh, Alexandria from from uh, from over there where the pyramids are. Oh, somewhere over there in Europe, that dude's like rapping in Arabic. It's a dope song, dude. It's gonna be a dope song. But like Jamal's always been there, and he's like, "Yo, let's make a documentary," and uh, that's kind of how it all came together. Like, I'm just glad that it was him that made it. Because if it wasn't for him, then it, it probably wouldn't have been done right. I'm glad that you approved of it and, and that it got out. I'm, I'm, I'm saddened too. Like the way that it ended, no spoilers. You know, I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but it, it is pretty heartbreaking knowing that like your friendship yeah. basically ended because of this path that you guys took as this group, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. We were really, really good friends. All, all three of us. We we're really, really good friends, and then uh, yeah, it's just weird the way that stuff happens. I, I think about Richard all the time, especially because because we hung out a lot, and we just love we love rap music a lot. And so like I'll just be working on music, and I'll just be remembering like now how the music is how much I'm engulfed in it now with editing and recording and mixing and just producing. And then I think back when it was just me and him like using a microphone and a tape deck. Crazy. And like we were coming up with the dopest music and now everything is all edited and, and computers and like plugins and rack mounts and expensive gear and we still can't recreate all that. I'm, I'm not saying that we can't come up with dope stuff, but it's weird the way 
we were just like in a little tiny room, man, and it was just like magic was happening. And now it's like we got to put in a hundred and two, three, four hundred hours just to make one song. <laughs> wow, I hear you, dude. I put in a lot of work just to edit these episodes, and that's probably like what takes me the longest. You know, it takes an hour to record, but it takes yeah. me like a whole you know. month just to put together. Yeah. See, bro, you know, bro, you know. Yeah, you want it to be right. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I could listen to the same 10 seconds, like, you know, 60 times over trying to figure out, like, okay, is the pacing okay? Should I cut it here? Should I lower that's the volume gift. on this? That's your gift, bro. That's a that's a gift, and, and you know exactly what you're looking to hear and see, and no one else could do that but you the right way, though. Yeah, I even have to rearrange the order in which some of the things that are said. Like, maybe this conversation, when you hear it, may be rearranged, you know? And so right. that takes time, you know? <laughs> I, I love that, man. I love you. I love that kind of talk. You're right about that. You're right about that. Like, if people don't know it until they see it at the end and how much you put into it and make it all gel together good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When when you first reached out to me to, um, to see if we, we would be uh, uh, doing an episode, you mentioned you wanted to share a story and you posted something about Night Owl, right? When, when he passed away. Oh yeah, you were talking about that story, yeah. Yeah, we did, a, I remember we did a show, we did a show like in 92 and, um, oh man, was it like uh, Wood Lake up north, like way up north, like four hours up there. And he was there too, he was with two other older guys. I, I didn't know it. I remember I heard his song, the uh, the the tribute to Mary Wells. And then I remember he uh, he was like, it was me, Richard, and Toker that were there. And then he like came into our hotel room. We had like girls and a bunch of guys in there. And I I had like a radio and I was just playing the tape with all my beats, like my samples that I'm gonna use. Like I would have sample snippets with other beats in there. Like like if I was sampling like uh, oldie, but I would have a bunch of stuff layered on top of that oldie. And he was just sitting there and every time I played something, he would look at the other guy and they would look at each other like, damn. So I was like, so I was like, man, this fool better not use anything on his album. I remember thinking that in my mind, but he didn't really talk. He was just chilling. He had like a Hawaiian shirt on. He, he must have been younger because I must have been probably like 22. And I think he was way older than me. So he was probably 28, 27, but he really didn't talk. He was just chilling in our hotel room right there. Yeah, I know he had some health issues, man, and that's I I, I was really sad to hear what happened, and uh, that's that sucks, man. Yeah, you know his voice is probably one of the better documented ones, and which brings me to the point of like why I really want to push this 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 podcast because I really want all the voices of people who impacted in my life growing up with their music. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not talking about like mainstream music. I'm talking about like this underground stuff that has had little. Yeah exposure little um you know right. little time dedicated to reviews and and the intricacies of what went into because you guys have a pretty interesting life of like where your music started off where it was headed who it who it uh, connected with and where it ended up you know yeah 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 definitely yeah there's a lot of people that got a lot of a lot of similar stories too even like you mentioned night owl that guy made a lot of albums man yeah yeah, I don't know where he found the the energy to. <laughs> Dang, tell me about it. That that's crazy. It's not even really making a lot of albums. It's it's making albums that that people bought and recognized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna ask you, are you guys involved with Khalifa'srap.net or .com? Uh, yes and and uh, no. So I I um I know Funk very well. I I write sometimes like I'll write 
you know what I'm doing here on the on the podcast I used to do in writing oh, okay that was you that used to, oh that's awesome man that's a old that's a long time ago yeah <laughs> that was a long time ago I remember I also remember uh, brownpride.com remember that one mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I've been trying to get Sal on here dude of Sal Sal that was him Sal yep so hopefully Sal Rojas can join us I've been trying to get him to to join us because I think what he contributed for the culture is is really deep. That was a good website. They had a battle board and everyone used to talk crap on there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Like you said it that that Murray Brumfield is like the Jerry Heller of of Chicano Chicano rap. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) His label is like this double edged sword, right? It put out so much music that I would say is like, you know, probably the, the, the quality that that really got out there. Uh, or, or, or catapult to people's careers because a lot of the stuff that debuted on there is just like to me if you haven't had a chance to listen to little ones um uh, once in a decade. decade album my god like i just listened to that that album it's a easy 45 minutes and you listen to like the drums like the mad uh the producer madman who who produced night owl's album little one's album uh aztec tribes album and you know this other local gpa um and brown's uh self-titled ep man just the, the man's production the sampling you know it, it was something that was out of left field and and it was very um i would say like compared to the way that you guys sampled his stuff was like very uh, um uh inspired by by previous drum loops and samples from like records that you wouldn't expect right like they, they put in samples from um the children of the corn yeah. Oh yeah. Like how it starts off the uh, like just the way that that gets sampled in the song. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, I love stuff like that. I love that using stuff from movies and all. Yeah, you're right about that. That's that's the creativity of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I feel I feel a certain way about Murray Brownfield. On, on one hand, he's a genius. On the other hand, you know, he's an evil genius. You know? <laughs> and and it, it, he may have been a positive impact to some people and probably something that like you know uh uh what's the word hindered the growth of of you know our our people being recognized in this in this genre you're right i think last time we talked to murray that's right wow me man i i've always been in uh we've always had friction so let me see i try to talk to him on like Facebook Messenger a few times. I don't think he responded. Um, last time I talked to him was probably in '94. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, he he knew I was always pissed off. He knew that I was always pissed. He never uh, he never had a, he didn't have a late he wasn't doing this until until we started doing it. it we were the first uh, group he had. That's true. Well, the first Chicanos, right? Because uh, he had like uh, I think he had. Um, What's his name? Mac 10's like first group called First Amendment. That that was after. Yeah, that was way after. Yeah, I remember First Amendment. He had a label called Kingswood Records, which was like his stuff he was trying to do like in the 80s, but I don't think it ever I don't think he ever did. I never heard what he did, but he would talk about that and then uh so when we went to him for help, he was like, Yeah, you know, I could help you guys get a deal and all that, and then he was just like, Oh no, I'm gonna put this out myself. Because probably somebody told him, yo, you can make money off of this. So how so much was we... four points on a record? Yeah, there you go. You beat me to it. Uh, no, uh, probably like probably 75%. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Well, you have you have like you have a couple different brackets, you know, if you want to be. But back then was different than now. It's a little different because now you have other ways. 
they have like licensing and streaming different things now but back then it was probably more or less like uh you know like i think we were doing tapes first like you know you had to get tapes made and, and cds and records back then now they don't really do that did did any of the raza that made fun of spanish fly rapping because they were mexican when you guys were younger did they ever come back being a fan of spanish fly or just became fans of rap in general after criticizing you guys that it was you know black music negro music whatever whatever the case may be um maybe i don't remember let me see i, I think it was just more like they just didn't like that kind of music they probably still don't like i know a lot of the people that i grew up with they didn't ever listen to uh chicano rap i still don't think they probably know i talked to my like my cousins and they're like oh hell no they're like they're like kind of like cringy like oh oh my gosh they're like that like sort of like feeling like it's a blast from the past type thing like i i i work like I work with guys that are like uh, that are like Christian uh, rappers, and sometimes they kind of sound like that. I'm like, oh, here we go, bro. That's another parallel too. It's like, you know how like Chicano rap has a certain stigma. Like, I, I feel like Christian rap has the same stigma. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're you're right. <laughs> I think music in general. You know what? I'm gonna tell you something that you you guys probably didn't know. Like when we were gonna do our second album, um, uh, Crimes of Agony. Yeah, Rich Rock, the, the songs that we had lined up to do, oh, you, most people would have probably been mad because it was gonna, it sounded nothing like the first album. I think a lot of people would might have been mad because he was rapping more like, uh, um, just more like street, like more like, I, I always had this thing I would tell him like where we wanna sound like so, so like, not hip hop or, or black rap, like just so rap that, when people see the cover, they're like, oh, damn, these guys are Mexican? We didn't know that. Okay. But the first album was more like, uh, like we know this thing is going to sell. That's kind of how I, I felt like it was going to be like an NWA thing. But for Mexicans, I felt like it was going to do that. Did you feel that it was experimental and that eventually you were, you were going to deviate for a different sound once like the Trust No Man album came out? I mean, that were those your plans were with Rich Rock and Isidaz? I felt like it was gonna stay. Like that was, that's that's like Spanish fly to the heart still to this day. Like I've still embraced the style. Obviously I love it. I still embrace that style, but it, it needs to be more like the the product needs to, to be like on point. Like the samples you're using, the production, the, the, the topics, the titles, everything, the concept, it has to all sink in and, and be unlocked. It just can't sound like, oh, that again? Oh, the, oh he sounds like him. Or, oh, yeah, that would have worked if it was 2001, maybe. It has to be so mind-blowing or else it's sort of like, like, yeah, it's just another album. Like, people hear it one day and then forget about it a week later. Like, I, I still feel it. I still feel it. Like, I would love to do stuff like that. A Rich Rod just popped up and said he wanted to do it. I'm down to do it. But it would probably be more, like, psychopathic-type stuff. Like, probably Chicano style, but more like crazy stuff more than than orderly homeboy or something maybe maybe a little bit of that but more crazy if, if that's what you're looking for something uh, maybe 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 because of your your christian uh stands you might be against it but if you want to hear a little something more psychopathic and more um occult like again no. once in a, once in a yeah, decade no. will blow your mind i think murray put that album out right 
Yeah, he put out Once in a Decade by Little. Yeah, yeah, I heard I heard pieces of that album. I remember when it came out. Yeah, he's got a good voice. It, it, it goes back to the voice thing. Like a lot of the uh, a lot of like Cholo type rap, their voices. Like as soon as I hear their voice, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. But some some of the guys got good voices though. No, that's no, that's exactly um, why I always talk to you. Uh, why it's about. I always tell them a lot of people when I tell them that I like Chicano rap, they just think that I like anything and everything because they're Mexican. When I listen to Chicano rap, I like to say that I like to listen to the good ones, the one with good rhyme schemes, good patterns, they rap on beat, good production. And obviously there's some people who act like that's a, a diamond in a rough to find, which I, I disagree. Who's uh who's your top who's your top three uh Chicano rappers of all time? I've been told that I have a, a, a San Diego bias. Honestly, I can, I mean, I like guys from, honestly, Clica uh, One. I like the G fellas. I like a Shadow, Little One, uh, Young Sick, Night Owl. Probably be uh, some of my tops. Word, word up. How about you? Uh, for me, you know, I, um, I say this about mainstream rap as well. I don't have favorite rappers. I have favorite albums. So yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's something that I've come to appreciate a lot more. Just because if I have a favorite rapper, like I feel like I have to be compelled to like all their music, but I I don't. You know what I mean? There's there's people even with mainstream rappers. Like I don't like everything that Dr. Dre does. I don't like everything that the Ice Cube does. Oh yeah, tell me about it. But you know, uh, most of it tends to be centered around san diego just because it's it's it sounded different you know like the 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 rhyme schemes the patterns for the, the delivery and flow was a little bit more fluid than it was in la but if i have to say you know my favorite rappers outside of san diego because uh, everybody knows who i like in san diego but i'll give credit outside of of that area i really like alt I thought he has a great um, syllabic rhyming because he, he he can go on forever rhyming in one sentence and, it, and it's, it's got the perfect amount of syllables and it's it's got the right structure. I like yeah, uh, Slow Pain because he, he's funky as hell. Like whatever it is about him, it's just infectious. Um, another person I like outside of San Diego would be um, probably, uh, let's see here, I'm trying to think of everybody in this uh what do i listen to a lot uh eh, uh, outside of san diego i I think um another rapper that that probably has a lot of music that i listen to is probably even kid frost right he's not my favorite but he has some songs that because of aot they have hit but in san diego like you know, I, I really loved uh, Little One's music. Like, there's probably the first six albums he did in a short period of time that I really listened to. Shadow, like, his first three albums just fucking blew me away. Uh, and Night Owl's, you know, uh, first three albums too, right? The Night Owl, Wicked West, and I think, actually, it's not his first third album, but um, the... Nightmares or Shot Callers. Nightmares. Wow, they made a lot of albums. Yeah, you know, it's and it's albums that I like more so because of the production, right? Because behind those productions uh, on on the San Diego albums, you had Madman who was behind a lot of that, and you had BMF who just is instrumental and a key player in the San Diego rap scene, whether it's black or Mexican, right? So that's why I liked it. It's it's different than just saying, oh, I liked him because of the way that he raps. Now it's just 
the production merged well. There's a lot of chemistry with the rapper and the producer and just the cadence on the beat was great, you know? Yeah, all that stuff's important. That's good. That's a good list. Yeah, yeah. Now, Frank, uh, I wanted to ask, man, uh, I know that, uh, you know, your dad's still doing music today. Your son's doing music. You still do music. And uh, Nas has a song with his pops. Um, do you have a song with your dad for our listeners to probably listen to maybe on YouTube or something? Uh, we have songs that we have, like I have them here in the studio, but we never put them out. But we've got plenty of songs we recorded. I, we, he does have songs that are out. Um, Fine Love by Mescal sort of like an 80 song I put it out like uh, four or five years ago it's a 45 he made he made a couple of 45s and I'd be telling my dad like you need to put your album your music out and and I'm, I'm going through that with one of his friends too that has a lot of good music and I'm trying to get them to uh, polish their music up and release it because you kind of archive it when you do that but um, I need to do a song, you're right, with my son and my dad. My son is doing all kind of music right now with all these uh, these kind of like, I guess you could say like cholo type rappers too. And he's not even like, my son has like long hair. He's like a, he, it's, it's funny because my, my son used to be in a rock band. He like learned how to play drums and then bass guitar, went to college for drumming. He had, he used to uh, bring like an alternative rock band to my house and I would record them and they were doing gigs. And then a few years later, he bought uh, the machine studio, the drum uh, machine thing. And now he's making all these dope beats. And I, now I'm recording alternative rock music producing. And now he's making all these dope tracks. And he's like sending me samples of stuff he's doing. And I'm, I just told him the other day, how in the hell is it that you're chopping up beats? And I'm over here recording rock bands now. Came full circle. Yeah, it's weird, man. Because like up until like he was 17, 18, he never even said he was into doing music like that like that type of music like I did production type music he was like wanting to be in a band and now I'm like yo come down bro like come down son I got a band they're here I want your input and he's like oh yeah I'll see <laughs> he's like he works with these guys from a thing called uh damn what are they called but he's he's done a lot of tracks for a lot of people now I what's the name of that place uh, I can't even remember, man. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shop where they have a podcast and all that. I'll probably look up the name and send it to you guys later. He goes by F, he goes by FC3 or FC Sounds. But he's doing a lot of beats for a lot of people right now, a lot of rappers. So, some dope rappers too. I heard their production is is pretty is pretty good. Nice. A any shout outs you want to give before we wrap up the show? Uh, I want to thank you guys, obviously, man. G-Funk Junkies. Your name says it all. You guys are G-Funk Junkies. Would you guys consider a Chicano rap G-Funk? Yeah, right? Here's my definition of, of what Chicano rap is, man. It's a, it's a continuation of West Coast rap. It is a, is a blend of what was Latino rap, what is gangster rap, and what was G-Funk, and it's just our touch on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. Definitely right. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I grew up uh, basically worshiping G-Funk. And the more you think about it, you, you can't deny how, how much of the Chicano image and culture was borrowed to put out G-Funk, right? And right. that's not right. something that we're credited for is, is our involvement in the music and how much of our culture was taken to put out what is gangster rap. So 
that's why I, I'm, I'm uh, what's the word, um, patenting the, the name G-Funk Junkies because this is a Chicano podcast and I wanted to embrace how much we've been involved in music and, you know, give credit where credit is due. That's good. That's good. I like that. I like that. I love the name too, man. You guys keep doing what you're doing. You do a good interview. You guys, so you ask good questions. I can see you guys, you know, studied a little bit. I really appreciate that. You guys are asking the right questions. Thank you. Thank you. Course, and, and just, we're, we're, I, I, I know we got to go, but I, I got to ask this just real quick. Hopefully we can squeeze this in. Yeah, for sure. Man. When and where did you first hear the term Chicano rap? Um, let me see. Jeez, man. Uh, I, I, I don't know, man. That's a good question. Let me see. Uh, it's hard. It puzzles a lot of people. It's got to be around Murray because around 93, 94, he was saying something else. It was, uh, oh, Latin rap. We would say Latin rap. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he was telling uh, us, well, he was saying, well, Latin is not really, it's like saying Hispanic. Latin is not a word. It's, it's not considered, like, if you say Hispanic or Latin, Latin can mean anything. It means you're, you're another country. He said, because he was a teacher, he said, you got to say Chicano. Chicano, he used to say that. Like, okay, well, yeah, I am Chicano. I was raised here, so. So it has to be through through Murray and Familia around that time, 93. But it's like how people started putting it on the CD. It would say Chicano rap like that. I don't, I don't know. I think I started seeing that in the 2000s. I think that's when it took off. Yeah. Remember when they had that logo? It said Chicano rap. It was written like slanted a little bit. <laughs> yeah, with, with the, uh, the 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 font, the specialized font that looked all like uh, fiesta type font. Yeah, white and black looking. So so I thought I was thinking it was originating with guys from San Diego. That's what people say now, right? Uh, I I think san diego popularized that like I, I i guess the better word is dominated the genre in the late 90s because that's when you had you know this this explosion of, of people coming out there and that's like what people credit to be the the golden era was that late 90s right which was you know uh night out little rock little one right uh, gpa's music was out there right. shadows music was out there they had a lot of guys little rock little rock damn they were doing their thing back then that's when i was like not even really into uh gee, yeah uh that kind of rap anymore but i know they were they were blowing up actually little rob uh started in 92 and it's funny because he, he credits uh esser rich rock and and proper those as some of the influences on his music too in the yeah. early 90s yeah, yeah, I, I seen him. I, I read that before. I heard him talking about us, Rich Rock, Spanish Fly. I seen interviews with him saying that. So that's that's cool to to hear him say that. Of course, man. Like this comes full circle, right? We, we I'm glad to hear that some people acknowledge you guys as as influences because you guys were pioneers, right? Whether it was in L.A., California, or beyond, like your music. This is something that I think a lot of Chicanos don't see is is that they're barking up the wrong tree, right? Like they spend so much time trying to get the approval from black rappers and black audiences to, to be approved, right? And they don't realize that their music had reached the other side of the world. Like I'm not sure if you ever looked up how much your music is worth, but there's people in, in Japan and places in Europe like France and Germany that are selling your albums and they're selling it like the top dollar, you know? right yeah you're right yeah like your, your music reached audiences that you weren't expecting to and that's because like chicanos in general have been so preoccupied with trying to win over black people that they realize that you won over the rest of the world you know 
Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing, man. That's, that was always the vision to uh, make good music that made people feel enjoy or feel happy when they heard it. Or made them feel like prideful when they heard it. Like, yeah, this is me right here. A good song, when you hear a good song, it makes you feel like like it's reading your mind and like you're saying it. You could put, yeah, like it puts yourself in their, in their shoes. I love songs where you're able to hear it. And you think about yourself saying it, like they're reading your mind. Those are that's when you know it's a good MC and a good song. Not just dancing music, but songs where you can really feel what they're saying, like they're reading your mind. Definitely. Um, I, I just want to give everybody a shout out that's listening. Uh, any, you know, we have listeners that, that tune in from other parts of the world, and so just want to appreciate people that are supporting our podcast i feel like we're nobodies but i appreciate that you guys take the time to listen to our music shout out to frank aka dj tricks from spanish fly check out his podcast on youtube check out his uh, documentary on uh, amazon prime and uh you know you, where, where can they find your your music and your uh your stuff yeah i got uh, most of my music's on savingsoul.com you can look it up there i have a whole bunch of different albums that we put out the last decade or so also look up a, a film we did a short film called microphone uh, 168 film festival and uh also too for the uh, listeners uh, just want to mention right now that we're in the process of finally finishing the spanish fly documentary which is hopefully going to be a three-part series so we've been moving forward with that and we're looking to add in all the stuff that we left out so that's going to be a good thing to uh, looking forward to. Also, new Spanish fly music coming out. And we'll see what, what happens next with all of this. And I appreciate you guys for just having me on. And yeah, go ahead and look me up again, SavingSoul.com. Yeah, that's, awesome. um, that's, that's badass, man. Not a lot of people get to say that, you know, they have a documentary on themselves. So that's it. Yeah, we're very thankful, man. And I'll, I'll mention you guys on the doc, man. I'm going to give you guys love back, bro. I appreciate oh, well, okay. that, though. Respect. I appreciate that. And with that, like we always say, just chill for the next episode. Boom. Oh.